Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.22 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It is the 18th day of September 2023, and this is episode, what episode is it? It's 795 of Bitcoin, and I had an anniversary last week, and it was my son's birthday. It's been kind of a, it's been kind of a busy, it was a busy weekend, and I have to say, I played like, Gran Turismo 7 on PlayStation 5 with my son because he got a PlayStation for his birthday. It's a little little expensive, but he's such a rabid gamer that I figured it's not going to go to waste. And we played Gran Turismo 7 for like, I don't know, man, three straight hours yesterday. If you have not played that game and you have the you have the gear to be able to play that game, it's one of the best racing games I've ever played, and God knows I've played a lot of them. It's a lot of fun, and honestly, I can see how that kid in the movie Gran Turismo learned how to, you know, the basics of driving race cars from a freaking video game. It's like a race car simulator, and it's beautiful, and it's smooth. It's some of the best gameplay that I've ever seen. Beautiful graphics. Everything about that thing is top freaking notch. So if you've kind of been wondering if it's any good, it is. Trust me. It's very, very good. <coughs> also today, the Circle P is open for business. Yes, it is. It is open for business with Good Beans out of El Salvador, their specialty coffee shop, you can get some great coffees. All of their coffees are grown, harvested, processed, roasted, picked, and packed, and shipped from El Salvador. All of their coffees are specialty grade, and they are all strictly high-grown. Oh, I lost it. <laughs> high-grown SGH coffees. Their coffees are roasted in small batches several times a month to ensure freshness. The roast dates of the current batch are shown for each individual coffee in its page. They believe that the only way to ensure profits is to make it the origin country and to do everything at that origin. The value-added chain remains within the Salvadoran coffee industry and not with multinational corporations. It's shipped from... El Salvador directly to your door. And by the way, yes, they take Bitcoin Lightning Network payments. If you want to just use the Lightning Network to buy some coffee from the, you know, from brothers and sisters down there in El Salvador, then do it. I've heard nothing but really good things about this particular coffee. And if it wasn't for the fact that I had pounds and pounds and pounds of previously bought coffee in my cupboard, I'd go ahead and buy some. I'm waiting until I kind of we kind of get that uh, uh, coffee stash down a little bit because, woo, man, is it just, 
Yeah, <laughs> it's I got a lot of coffee. Anyway, what do we got in the news? It's time for the news. We're going to start off with Bitcoin Magazine. Wow, this one, I you know, you can tell it's Monday because Bloomberg is call or calls questioning of chain analysis a smear campaign and raises questions of media integrity. And Lola Leets is writing this. And if you don't know, Lola Leets has been following this debacle of chain analysis, not really being able to prove that what they do is, you know, has any kind of efficacy whatsoever. I mean, that nobody can see the code. You have to pay an exorbitant fee to be able to use the software. They're not giving their software over to anybody that has anything to do with chain analysis based court cases like the defense attorneys. It's like a black box. Nobody knows how it works. Nobody knows what's in it. And even the people over at Chain Analysis can't tell you whether or not this stuff actually works. And it's just bizarre. So let's see what Lola Leeds has to say about Bloomberg calling this thing a smear campaign. Journalism has been getting an ill rep. A survey held by the communications firm Edelman has found that trust in the media in the UK was at 35% and 37% in 2021 and 2022, respectively while trust in the media in the U.S. was only a few basis points ahead, with 39 and 43% respectively. The problem of eroding trust in the media seems to arise increasingly where corporate and state interests cross the free press. The media plays a key role in combating corruption, yet it seems the days of publishers suing governments over press freedom are largely over, as reporting made way for content and authors Turned into influencers, the stage has been set to foster media corruption. Thou shalt not piss on the foot that kicks its scraps towards thy. <laughs> A recent example of the free press presenting or representing corporate and intelligence interests can be found in Bloomberg's coverage of the Bitcoin fog trial, and the problem begins as early as the headline. In, quote, Wall Street-backed crypto tracer faces junk science attack, end quote, we can firstly find the allegation that the definition of non-scientifically proven software as junk science is some sort of newly found conspiracy. When the United States-based Innocence Project, which was or has dedicated itself to criminal justice reform, frequently uses the term to describe flawed forensic methods. Junk science describes the use of non-scientific methods to prove or disprove a hypothesis. In legal context, scientific accuracy is determined via the Daubert standard, which defines the following methodologies which cannot be met by Chain Analysis Incorporated as uncovered in the Bitcoin fog case. Whether the method has a known error rate, whether the method has been subjected to peer review and publication, and whether the method applies is generally accepted by the scientific community. Question. It's your testimony that you don't know whether or not chain analysis collects any information as to false positives in relation to the chain analysis reactor software. Is that correct? Answer. That's correct. Uh Uh-oh. Okay. Sorry about that. There's something weird happening with the stream. Um, I want to make sure of something here. Yeah, we're going. Okay. I just went, I'm sorry. I just still not sure exactly how all this is working. Okay. So yes, answer. That's correct. Question two, 
As part of its conservative approach, does chain analysis collect any statistical information on the occurrence of false negatives from chain analysis reactor software? Answer, not to my knowledge. Question, can you cite me any scientific peer-reviewed papers analyzing the accuracy of chain analysis reactor? Answer, no, sir, I, I can't. Question, so essentially, if I heard your testimony right, your assessment of the accuracy of chain analysis reactor is based solely on your experience? Answer, yes, sir. Question, and you have no scientific paper or any peer-reviewed paper or any kind of academic paper at all that you can point me to that analyzes and validates the accuracy of chain analysis reactor? Is that correct? Answer, that's correct, sir. (laughs) That was Elizabeth Bisbee. Jesus. Quote, Chainalysis is looking into the potential of trying to collect and record any potential false positives and margin of error, but such a collection does not currently exist, reads the official Chainalysis statement addressing the case. Blockchain forensics expert Jonelle Still of the chain surveillance firm CypherTrace has described the use of Chainalysis heuristics as reckless in an expert report issued in the Sterling Off case, stating that, quote, law enforcement and other customers of chain analysis have approached CypherTrace on this topic and have expressed frustration related to the errors they experienced using chain analysis reactor, end quote. According to Still, quote, chain analysis attribution data should not be used in court for this case nor any other case. It has not been audited. The model has not been validated, nor has the collection tra- uh, trail been identified, end quote. Instead, however, Bloomberg chose to cite a September 11th filing, which alleges that, quote, the FBI validates chain analysis clustering every day, and it is generally reliable and conservative. Prosecutors said chain analysis information is, quote, frequently validated and found to be reliable in supporting subpoenas and search warrants, writes Bloomberg, apparently taking the state's and chain analysis word at face value. No questions asked, because what else would a journalist do? What Bloomberg conveniently forgot to highlight is that the Department of Justice as well has found blockchain forensics to be highly imperfect, specifically citing chain analysis software in a report published in the Journal of Federal Law and Practice, ironically written by Alden Pelker, an expert in computer crime who currently serves as co-counsel to Sterlingoff's prosecution. The description of a software which fails to meet scientific standards is hence not an attack but rather an accurate description within the meaning of the term in light of the facts, all of which have been ignored by Bloomberg, which we can either ascribe to incredibly bad journalism or outright corporate propagandism. Circling back to Bloomberg's headline, this author would like to note that chain analysis is not just backed by Wall Street, but also backed by NQTEL, receiving over $1.6 million from the Central Intelligence Agency's nonprofit venture capital fund. How fortunate that this fact, too, appears to have escaped the Bloomberg author's research capabilities. So the TLDR is that corporate journalism has shit the free press bed once again, and it's the people that continue to have to lie in it, all lang sign. Yeah. Well, so Bloomberg is taking the side of the United States government in the case against Roman Sterlingoff, even though it's very clear, even from testimony on, on the prosecution side, 
their testimony has basically said, we don't know how this shit works. So I don't even know what that means for, for justice at all, much less in the United States. It's a, it's, it's kind of, it's a scary situation because at this point, what they're doing is they're using clearly flawed software that almost nobody can audit, certainly not Roman Sterlingoff's prosecution or a defense team and any of the other defense teams. You can't see it. You don't know how it works. You can't view the code. You can't even get the software to see if you can get it to work. There, it's very bad juju. It's very bad. I don't like it one bit. But that's what's going on right now. Bloomberg is literally calling Lola Leets out, saying that she's conducting a smear campaign, and anybody else in the journalistic, I don't know, league, if they say that there's something wrong with chain analysis stuff, then they're conducting a smear campaign as well. This is Bloomberg, right? This isn't just some flyby night. This isn't like, I don't know, you the Telegraph or something like that, or New York, you know, uh, was... Uh, Washington Post, you know, all these people that, that, you know, I guess in, in some way or shape, form or fashion can be considered rags. No, this is Bloomberg, which nobody considers a rag, even though it's a rag. I consider it a rag because of stuff like this. So that's what we're dealing with this Monday, the 18th of September. We're also dealing with the following from NoBSBitcoin.com. EU Parliament has passed the DAC8. Crypto service providers will now have to report all transaction information on EU clients. So if you live in the EU, watch out. The DAC-8 law designed to amend the EU Directive on Administrative Corporation mandates crypto asset service providers to report transactions involving EU clients to the bloc's tax authorities. 535 members voted in favor of the bill with only 57 votes against and 60 abstentions. EU member states now have until December the 31st of next year, 2025, well, actually in 2025, to implement the rules, which are set to officially take effect on January the 1st, 2026. Quote, the proposed directive identifies two types of entities that would be obliged to report information to the local authorities. Number one, crypto asset providers. Any legal person or undertaking whose professional activity is the provision of one or more crypto asset services to third parties. The definition as used in DAC-8 is the same as that of the MICA. Number two, and here's where it gets ugly, crypto asset operators. A provider of a crypto asset service other than a crypto asset provider. These operators do not fall within the scope of MICA, but apparently they do fall within the scope of DAC-8. Quote, these entities, categorized as reportable crypto asset service providers, must comply with DAC's reporting requirements if they have users within the EU, regardless of their size or location. Unlike the OECD's CARF, the C-A-R-F, the proposed EU directive also requires RCASPs to act in cases where a crypto asset user does not provide the data required to the RCASP after two reminders, but not before 60 days have passed. In such a case, the RCASP would have to prevent the user from exchanging transactions. An amendment is proposed to Article 16.2 
to clarify that the information exchanged under DAC can be used for purposes other than tax, including any measures covered under Article 21.5 TFEU, which deals with the imposition of economic sanctions by the EU on third countries. The new surveillance law does not seem to affect self-custody solutions, their users and developers. All right, yeah, until we go back and look at crypto asset operators, because they're not really providing a, a very credible definition of what a crypto asset operator is. I run a Bitcoin full node. I operate a Bitcoin full node. That Bitcoin full node is involved in verifying transactions on the Bitcoin network. Does that make me a quote unquote crypto asset operator? If I was living in the EU, I'd be thinking that it did because they're not making a very good definition. Me operating a Bitcoin full node is completely different than the fact that I have a hardware wallet and I self custody Bitcoin, in which case apparently you're safe but I'm operating a full node. Does that cause me to be a crypto asset operator under this definition? So be aware. And if you're in the EU, you might want to, you might want to look at that. So just, just saying, uh, where are we at? Okay. Uh, let's do this one first. EU parliament. Oh, whoops. Nope. I don't want that one. I want this one. Nine. Count them nine United States senators publicly back Elizabeth Warren's crypto bill. I know, I get it, but it's Monday. This is all the crap that's going on. You're going to have to worry about it or not worry about it. But it's it's one of these things where I don't want to just give you like blow smoke up your butt all morning long on a Monday. This stuff is really happening. We're starting to enter the they fight you stage. We have to be prepared, and you can only be prepared by knowing what the hell's going on. Cointelegraph helps us out. Uh, let me see if I can find who is writing this one. Oh, that's not the one I want. David Atley is writing this one for Cointelegraph. Nine, count them nine, United States senators have added their support to Senator Elizabeth Warren's Digital Asset Anti-Money Laundering Act, according to the statement from Warren's office. The press release on Warren's official Senate webpage names Democratic Party Senators Gary Peters, Dick Durbin, Tina Smith, Gene Shaheen, Bob Casey, Richard Blumenthal, Michael Bennett, and Catherine Cortez Masto, along with Independent Senator Angus King, as those who joined the bipartisan coalition supporting the bill. Peters is the chair of the Senate Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee, while Durbin is the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Warren herself welcomed the new bill supporter stating, quote, Our expanding coalition shows that Congress is ready to take action. Our bipartisan bill is the toughest proposal on the table, cracking down on crypto's illicit use and giving regulators more tools in their toolbox. This bill has also been endorsed by Transparency International U.S., Global Financial Integrity, the National District Attorneys Association, the Major County Sheriffs of America, the National Consumer Law Center, and the National Consumers League. What bugs me about that one, and I'm pausing to make to make this statement, is the inclusion of the Major County Sheriffs of America Association. I just, that one, that bugs me that they're throwing their weight behind this crap. 
Sheriffs should be concerned about what's going on in their county. Criminal activity on the ground in their county. Sure, I guess if they're, you know, if if you're operating some kind of, you know, shitcoin casino in a county, then yeah. But at one point or another, the sheriffs have to be tasked by somebody else. They don't need to be really throwing their weight into this, but that's another story. Warren reintroduced the Digital Asset Anti-Money Laundering Act along with Senators Joe Manchin, Roger Marshall, and Lindsey Graham in July of 2023. In the current version, the document intends to crack down on non-custodial digital wallets, extend Bank Secrecy Act responsibilities, establish an anti-money laundering combating the financing of terrorism, compliance examination, and other legal measures to fight the illicit use of digital money. Warren believes that there is a $50 billion crypto tax gap with the Internal Revenue Service and U.S. Treasury risking missing out on roughly $1.5 billion in tax revenue for the 2024 financial year if a tax policy update is delayed. This has nothing to do with anti-money laundering. It has nothing to do with uh, know your customer. It doesn't have anything to do with terrorist financing child sexual predation, child, you know, human trafficking. That's what they say up front. But the real reason is they want money. They just want to be able to steal more of your money. That's it. That's all. None of this crap has anything to do with, you know, with stopping a terrorist. None, None of this stuff stops terrorists from doing terrorism. The only thing that can stop terrorists from doing anything is for them not to have a reason to do anything. And guess who gives terrorists the best reason to go be terrorists? Governments around the world, not just Canada, not just United States, not just Mexico, not just countries in Europe, all of them. None of them escape my gaze when it comes to whose fault is terrorism when you get right down to it. That question is answered by world governmental organizations because they're the ones that cause people to have such bad lives that other people say, you know what? We're going to bomb this person. We're going to bomb this parliament. We're going to, we're going to set fire to this building. We're going to, you know, organize riots because we're all freaking unhappy. Right? So it, but it has nothing at all to do with quote unquote terrorism. It's just they want your tax money. And they'll probably do it with Operation Choke Point 2.0. How U.S. regulators fight Bitcoin with financial censorship. Peter Chihuahua with, uh, from Bitcoin Magazine. Quote, the reason that we are focused on financial institutions and payment processors is because they are the so-called bottlenecks or choke points in the fraud committed by so many merchants that victimize consumers and launder their illegal proceeds. Brecksnacked explained to the club, quote, we hope to close the access to the banking system that mass marketing fraudsters enjoy, effectively putting a chokehold on it, end quote. This concerted effort, later labeled Operation Choke Point, targeted a wide range of business categories, including ammunition sales, drug paraphernalia, payday loans, dating services, pornography, telemarketing, tobacco sales, and governmental grants. This broad application of financial exclusion 
ultimately prompted multiple lawsuits and federal investigations into the conduct of both the DOJ and the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, the FDIC, as well as harsh criticism from all corners. Quote, the clandestine operation, choke point, had more in common with a purge of ideological foes than a regulatory enforcement action, wrote Frank Keating, a former governor of Oklahoma who served in the DOJ during the Reagan administration in a 2018 editorial for The Hill. Quote, it targeted wide swaths of businesses with little regard for whether legal businesses were swept up and harmed. In fact, that seemed to be the goal, end quote. In 2017, the Trump administration's DOJ wrote a letter to Congress indicating that Operation Choke Point was officially over. In 2018, FDIC promised to limit its personal ability to terminate account relationships and to put additional training into place for its examiners. But in the years since the federal government so blatantly demonstrated its interest in dictating access to banking services and its power to do so deliberately with little or no consequences, many feel that little has changed. On March the 8th, 2023, it was announced that the cryptocurrency-focused institution Silvergate Bank would be voluntarily liquidated by its holding company. The bank had been focused on serving cryptocurrency clients since 2013, when its CEO, Alan Lane, first invested in Bitcoin. In 2022, it had acquired the technology behind Meta's failed stablecoin project, Diem, with hopes of launching its own dollar-backed coin. As the cryptocurrency market declined in late 2022, marked by the collapse of one of the biggest clients in cryptocurrency exchange, FTX, the bank's stock plummeted. It likely did not help that at the same time, Senators Elizabeth Warren, Roger Marshall, and John Kennedy asked Silvergate to disclose details of its financial relationship with collapsed cryptocurrency exchange, FTX. Soon after, on March the 10th, 2023, almost 10 years from the day, of Breck Snack's public detailing of Operation Choke Point, Silicon Valley Bank was seized by the California Department of Financial Protection and Innovation and placed under FDIC receivership, making what was then the second largest bank failure in United States history. Since 2021, the bank had been increasing its long-term securities holdings, but as the market value of these assets deteriorated amid U.S. dollar inflation and Federal Reserve interest rate hikes, it was left with unrealized losses. Simultaneously, its customers, many of whom were prominent businesses within the cryptocurrency industry and were similarly strained by economic conditions, were withdrawing their money. On March the 8th, 2023, SVB announced that it had sold more than $21 billion worth of securities, borrowed another $15 billion, and was planning on an emergency sale to raise yet another $2.25 billion. Perhaps unsurprisingly, this sparked a run on its remaining funds, totaling some $42 billion in withdrawals by March 9, 2023. On Sunday, March the 12th, so three days later, state and federal authorities stepped in, customers of Signature Bank, had withdrawn more than $10 billion. Since 2018, Signature Bank had maintained a focus on cryptocurrency businesses, with some 30% of its deposits coming from the sector by early 2023. Signature Bank had also accrued a large proportion of uninsured deposits worth some you know, $80 billion and constituting almost 90% of its total deposits. 
It was holding relatively little cash on hand, only about 5% of its total assets. So it was poorly prepared for a run on crypto-friendly banks spurred by SVB's issues. On March the 12th, 2023, the New York State Department of Financial Services closed Signature Bank and placed it under FDIC receivership as it faced a mountain of withdrawal requests. At the time, this represented the third largest bank failure in U.S. history. Following their seizures of SVB and Signature Bank, the U.S. Department of the Treasury, Federal Reserve, and FDIC described the takeovers as, quote, decisive actions to protect the United States economy by strengthening public confidence in our banking system, end quote. But others suggested the actions, particularly against Signature Bank, signified a blatant reemergence of the prejudice displayed during Operation Choke Point and connected to a larger effort to stymie cryptocurrency businesses. Quote, I think part of what happened was that regulators wanted to send a very strong anti-crypto message. Barney, Barney Frank, a signature bank board member and former congressman who helped draft the seminal Dodd-Frank Act to overhaul financial regulation following the Great Recession, told CNBC in March of 2023, quote, we became the poster boy because there was no insolvency based on the fundamentals, end quote. Following an FDIC announcement that Flagstar Bank would assume all of Signature Bank's cash deposits except for those related to the digital asset banking business, the editorial board of the Wall Street Journal announced that Frank was right to call out this bias. Quote, this confirms Mr. Frank's suspicion and ours that Signature's seizure was motivated by regulators' hostility towards crypto, the board wrote. Quote, that means crypto companies will have to find another bank to safeguard their deposits. Many say that government warnings to banks about doing business with crypto customers is making that hard, end quote. Public officials, financial professionals, and Bitcoin advocates have been pointing out an apparent bias against cryptocurrency businesses from the Biden administration well before the March 2023 bank runs. There were numerous policy events in the early part of 2023 to back up those sentiments. A January 3rd, 2023 joint statement on crypto asset risk to banking organizations from the Federal Reserve, FDIC, and Office of the Comptroller of the Currency noted that, quote, the events of the past year, a White House roadmap to mitigate cryptocurrency risks released on January the 27th, 2023, indicated that the Biden administration sees the proliferation of cryptocurrencies as a threat to the country's financial system and warned against the prospect of granting cryptocurrencies more access to mainstream financial products. Quote, as an administration, our focus is on continuing to ensure that cryptocurrencies cannot undermine financial stability to protect investors and to hold bad actors accountable, per the roadmap. Quote, legislation should not greenlight mainstream institutions like pension funds to dive headlong into cryptocurrency markets. It would be a grave mistake, grave mistake to enact legislation that reverses course and deepens the ties between cryptocurrencies and the broader financial system, end quote. On February the 7th, 2023, the Federal Reserve pushed a rule to the Federal Register clarifying that the institution would presumptively prohibit state member banks from holding crypto assets as principal in any amount that issuing tokens on public, open, and or decentralized networks or similar systems is highly likely 
to be inconsistent with safe and sound business practices or banking practices, end quote. And then, and then on May the 2nd, 2023, the Biden administration proposed a digital asset mining energy excise tax suggested as a way to force mining operations to financially compensate the government for the economic and environmental cost of their practices with a 30% tax on the electricity that they use. For Brian Morkenston, the head of public policy at Riot Platforms, one of the largest publicly traded Bitcoin miners based in the United States, these policy suggestions, updates, and rule changes clearly indicate a larger attempt to hinder Bitcoin advancement by targeting financial choke points. Quote, The White House has proposed an excise tax on electricity use by Bitcoin mining businesses specifically, an admitted attempt to control legal activity they do not like in the name of environmental protection, Morganston explained in an interview with Bitcoin Magazine. Quote, the only explanation for such inexplicable behavior is deep-rooted bias in favor of the status quo and against decentralization, end quote. Collectively, this behavior could influence the conduct of regulated banks. Just as the pressure applied by the DOJ in the 1910s unduly limited the businesses in its crosshairs back then. For many, it's clear that Operation Choke Point has been reinstated. Quote, Operation Choke Point 2.0 refers to the coordinated effort by the Biden administration's financial regulators to suffocate our domestic crypto economy by debanking the industry and severing entrepreneurs from the capital necessary to invest here in the United States of America. United States Senator Bill Haggerty, a member of the Committees on Banking and Appropriations, told Bitcoin Magazine, quote, It appears that financial regulators have brought into the false narrative that cryptocurrency-focused businesses exist solely to facilitate or conduct illicit activities, and they seem blind to the opportunities for the potential innovations and new businesses that can be built, end quote. It may be fairly obvious how such a pressure campaign by federal regulators would hurt cryptocurrency-focused projects that depend on access to banks, But the larger ramifications of such financial prohibitions for retail customers and the advancement of Bitcoin in particular may not be. Why should proponents of Bitcoin, a decentralized financial rail designed to function outside of the legacy system, care about a choke point in regulated financial institutions? Caitlin Long, the founder of Custodia Bank, which is focused on bridging the gap between digital assets and legacy financial services, recognizes that for users in the United States to legitimately participate in Bitcoin, the regulatory landscape must be accommodating. Quote, I've been working for years to help enable laws to be enacted in multiple U.S. states and federally precisely because in the absence of legal clarity about Bitcoin, legal systems can become attack vectors on Bitcoiners. All of us live under legal regimes of some sort, and we should be aware of legal attack vectors and work toward resolving them in an enabling way, end quote. Caitlin's advocacy may be best represent, may best represent the potential for favorable or even just equitable financial access could mean for Bitcoin adoption and the advancement of its technology for everyone. 
Through her work, Custodia, then under the name Avanti, obtained a 2020 bank charter in its home state of Wyoming that made it a special purpose depository institution capable of custodying Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies on behalf of clients. But following a prolonged delay in approval of Custodia's application for a master account with the Federal Reserve that would allow it to leverage the Fedwire network and facilitate large transactions for clients without enrolling intermediaries, Custodia filed a lawsuit against the Federal Reserve last year. Quote, Operation Chokepoint 2.0 is real. Custodia learned about its existence in late January when press leaks hit and reporters, reporters started calling Custodia to say they've learned that all bank charter applicants at the Federal Reserve and the Office of the Controller of the uh, Currency, Comptroller of the Currency with digital assets in their business models, including you, Custodia, were recently asked to withdraw their pending applications. Reporters told us that the Fed's vote on Custodia's application would be a foregone conclusion before the Fed governors actually voted. End quote. Long said, but more than just stifling innovators who seek to build bridges between Bitcoin and legacy financial services, targeting the choke points of Bitcoin platforms will only push these platforms outside of the scope of regulators, giving those with malicious intent an advantage over those who are attempting to play by the rules. Quote, Internet native money exists. It won't be uninvented, Long added. Quote, if Federal bank regulators have a prayer of controlling its impact on the traditional U.S. dollar banking system, then they will wake up and realize it's in their interest to enable regulatory compliant bridges. Otherwise, just as with other industries that the Internet has disrupted, corporate media, for example, the Internet will just go around them and they will face even bigger problems down the road, end quote. As was laid bare by the collapse of FTX, Bitcoin is still very much tied to the world of cryptocurrency at large in the portfolios of investors and the eyes of most people around the world. Indeed, the revelations around FTX's criminal operations have been a case in point for regulators who seek the financial prohibition of cryptocurrency businesses. But this very prohibition may have enabled FTX's operators to fleece billions of dollars in customer funds. Based on a Caribbean island, the vast majority of FTX's business was outside of the jurisdiction of U.S. regulators. As U.S. regulators limit the growth of domestic businesses, offshore alternatives like FTX benefit. And while many Bitcoiners may think that policymakers are powerless to determine the success of this permissionless technology, adverse or absent regulations can limit Bitcoin-specific businesses just as harshly as do broader cryptocurrency-related ones. In fact, it may be Bitcoin's unique properties that make the current regulatory landscape such a daunting one for growth. Quote, Bitcoiners should care about Operation Chokepoint because certain policymakers are trying to take away our ability to participate in the Bitcoin network, Morgan Stern argued. Moreover, Bitcoin is different. It is not only the oldest and most tested asset in this space. It is perhaps the only one that everyone agrees is a digital commodity. That means the on-ramp for inclusion into any policy frameworks will have less friction inherently, and Bitcoiners need to understand this. Reviewing the recent hostile policy updates from federal regulators, it seems clear that Bitcoin is firmly entrenched along with crypto in their minds. And Bitcoin proponents in particular will agree many businesses focused on other cryptocurrencies are apt to hurt investors. 
But some in the Bitcoin sector think that more education could help underscore the distinctions between Bitcoin and altcoins and better protect Bitcoin from more justified regulatory limits on manipulated tokens and vaporware. Quote, engage with your elected officials. Help them understand that Bitcoin's decentralized ledger technology is democratizing finance, creating faster and cheaper transactions, and providing much-needed optionality for consumers at a time when the centralized finance system is experiencing distress. It'll take time, effort, and a lot of communication, but we have to work together to help our leaders appreciate how many votes and how much prosperity is at stake, end quote. Indeed. For those elected officials who do recognize this bias as unduly harmful to innovation, continued advocacy from Bitcoin supporters is the best way out of the chokehold. Quote, this isn't an issue where people can afford to be on the sidelines anymore. I encourage those who want to see digital assets flourish in the United States to make your voice heard, whether that is at the ballot box or by contacting your lawmakers and urging them to support constructive policy proposals, Haggerty concluded. And that is the conclusion of this piece by Peter Chihuahua out of Bitcoin Magazine, which pretty much paints a pretty damning picture of what's going on with U.S. regulatory landscape as it concerns Bitcoin and, of course, the uh, the other crap, you know, the crypto and, and the shit coins and whatnot like that. But I want to look at this uh, section, this one paragraph a little bit more. More than just stifling innovators who seek to build bridges between Bitcoin and legacy financial services, targeting the choke points of Bitcoin platforms will only push these platforms outside of the scope of regulators, giving those with malicious intent an advantage over those who are attempting to play by the rules. You can read this as, if you ban guns, the only people that will have guns will be the criminals. It's the same thing. If you ban drugs, the only people that will be able to sell drugs will be, by definition, criminals. See how this works? Drugs are going to be sold. People are going to have firearms. It's just, that's just the way this works. If you're not going to, at, at, at the federal level, state, local, federal, state, local levels, if you're not going to regulate, regulate, a way that makes it possible to engage in anything you choose. Pick any X, drive a car. I have federal, state, and and like local regulations that describe how I can interact being able to drive a car. I don't think they should be able to tell me what to do, but this is the real world that we live in right now, and we should continue to fight against it for the rest of our lives, but we have to actually live in the world as it is right now. We have to meet the world where it is. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to change anything later. But be that as it may, it's the same thing here. If you continuously push Bitcoin out of the United States through Operation Choke Point 2.0, only two things will happen. The rest of the world will benefit. And the rest of the world should benefit, but we, I want the rest of the world to include the United States as well. But then you, you'll have much less control over it. I don't think they should have any control over anything. No government should. But again, this is the world we live in. And we have to meet the world where it is. It doesn't mean we have to accept it. It doesn't mean we have to like it. And it certainly doesn't mean we should stop pushing against this kind of crap because we should. I don't like regulations. But... 
I don't like it even more when people just there just don't want to regulate anything and they just want to make something illegal because that causes some really, really terrible crap to happen. So that's what that's the landscape of regulation right now. The entire first half of this show is basically demonstrating sort of where we're at. So we take a breath, take a little snapshot, what the hell's going on, and individually figure out how we are going to move forward. Let's run the numbers. All right, CNBC, futures and commodities. I got Earl. West Texas Intermediate is up half a point to $91.19. Brent North Sea is up 0.2 points to $94.12. Natural gas is up 2.5, And gasoline is down a half point to $2.69 per gallon. Gold is up a third of a point. Silver is up 0.4. Platinum is up almost a full point, but copper is down over a half and palladium is down over a half. Ag is fully mixed. I got a biggest loser today is wheat, 2.28% to the downside. Biggest winner is going to be what? Cotton, 0.93% to the upside. Live cattle is down a half. Lean hogs are down a third and feeder cattle are down one and a third. The Dow, however, is up a quarter as is the S&P. Uh, NASDAQ is up a third. The S&P mini is up 0.17%. Real money chilling out at $27,213. So we got a little overnight bump or early morning bump. Average transaction value is 0.19 BTC. Median transaction value is 7.8 United States pennies. Block times are still low, 9 minutes and 21 seconds. 0.25 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 386 taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours with a 5.42% increase in hash rate. We are chilling out at 434.9 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator is Dogecoin 6.2 United States pennies. A dashboard from Clark Moody indicates that a market capitalization of $531 billion for Bitcoin is in play, and that is 4.1% of gold's entire market cap. You may purchase 14.2 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,489,236 of, and 4,806.6 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $130.9 million. 16,206 nodes that we can see and 68,843 channels that we know about. 78.7% of all of that is being run over Tor. Uh, what do we got over at Mempool? Uh, mempool.space. Come on. Come on. We got, wow. Mempools are packed and stacked. 235 blocks carrying 560,000 unconfirmed transactions are waiting to clear Mempools. Um, we have 40 Satoshis per V-byte on high-priority transactions, ladies and gentlemen. Low priorities going for a, uh, 38 Satoshis per V-byte. And get this shit, anything under 11.7 Satoshis per V-byte is being purged from mempools around the world. Mining from mempool.space suggests 416 uh, exahashes per second. So that's what's going on there. And speaking of mempools... With these high fees and the fact that the mempools are just stuffed, brimming with unconfirmed transactions, we should probably go back and look at something that Matt O'Dell 
wrote February 18th of this year. Bitcoin transaction fees and UTXO management. Bitcoin transaction fees limit network abuse by making usage expensive. There's a cost to every transaction set by a dynamic free market based on demand. It is an incredibly robust way to prevent spam without relying on centralized entities that can be corrupted or pressured. When Bitcoin blocks are full, and God knows they're full right now, highest fee transactions are confirmed first. Pending transactions sit in node mempools waiting for confirmation. You can conceptualize mempools as a line to enter a restaurant sorted by who is willing to pay the most. If you're willing to wait for your transaction to confirm, you can pay significantly lower fees. Your Bitcoin wallet may show a single balance, but the reality is that it's made by many different unspent transaction outputs. When you make a Bitcoin transaction, your wallet will select as many UTXOs as necessary to reach the amount of Bitcoin that you wish to send. On-chain transaction fees are calculated based on size and bytes, not the amount of Satoshis sent. The more UTXOs required on the input side, the higher the fee paid. From a cost perspective, you want to consolidate UTXOs. The fewer the UTXOs with the largest amounts wins. Consolidation has privacy trade-offs, though. You link any UTXOs that you consolidate as owned by the same person. Plus, larger UTXOs means you will dox more of your stack to anyone that you pay in the future. So those are some points to keep in mind when we get into high-fee environments. So I thought that that was a good one to do for today. Uh, I'm number six on uh, Fountain Charts. <coughs> and we uh, we have nobody to thank for it but Fatoshi with 21,221 sats. Thank you, Fatoshi. I appreciate that. He says, thank you for your service. Axel Rob with five grand says, my down payment for the Permaculture Pie in the Sky podcast. I'm dreaming similar dreams. Love to hear your ideas. Quotable quotes from last show. Quote, a dumpster fire full of little clown cars that are on fire with little clowns who are also on fire. <laughs> I spit my coffee out and I'll laugh so hard. Well, I'm glad I brought a smile to your face there. Wartime Psycho with 5K says, Hootie, woo, and a Rudy tootin' too. Dubrovko with 1,100 sats says, regarding Swan, when you hear anything from a person that works for or promotes a seed company, they tell you personally to spread your orders out among companies. They do that because it's understood that a diversity of companies selling seeds leads to a better chance for survival. The same is true with Bitcoin brokers. Spread your business out and keep them all in the black. It will be all the more important when the then they fight you phase really does start up. He also continues, he gives me a, a small dad joke here with 1090 sat says, what did the squirrel find after he jerked off on himself? Chestnut. Oh man, on a Monday, pies with a thousand says, I completely understand your frustration with Swan. I love their enthusiasm about Bitcoin only, but at the end of the day, talk is just talk. I deleted my Swan account because I don't like buying Bitcoin and not being able to withdraw immediately. It goes against everything Bitcoin is supposed to represent. Plus, they are a bit too bushy for my liking. Pies comes back with 500, says the signal is strong. This is the way. I appreciate that. God's death with 500 says, thank you, sir. I would work on that farm. He's. I hope that they're, the, the farm and permaculture references here are referencing 
that I really am trying to put together a series of episodes about a silvo pasture idea that I've had rattling around my head for years. And if I don't get it out of my head and put it somewhere else, it's going to drive me insane because I can't afford the amount of money that it would cost to actually start this thing up. So I might as well give it to the world. Maybe somebody listening has millions of dollars and they want to do something for the earth and they can do it. I I don't mind giving my ideas over. I don't, especially when I cannot at this particular time afford to act upon them. Dubrovko is going to give us our dad joke at the end of the uh, uh, show, but he uh, gave me 109 sats plus a uh, plus the joke, but I'm not going to do that here. Pies ends us with 100, says, thank you, sir. You are a gentleman and a scholar. No, thank you, sir. And that's going to do it for the morning roundup. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Hut 8 receives green light from Canadian Supreme Court on USBTC merger. And this is written by, who is writing this thing? Let me see. Gareth Jenkinson is writing this one for, uh, was it Daily Telegraph? Or no, Cointelegraph. Sorry about that. Again, sorry guys. My timing is really off today. It was a hell of a weekend. Um, Canadian Bitcoin mining firm Hut8 is set to wrap up its planned merger with United States Bitcoin or USBTC following a final approval from the Supreme Court of British Columbia. Hut8 and USBTC announced the move in February of 2023, which was subject to shareholder and regulatory approval. The merger will see Hut8 and USBTC form Hut8 Corporation or New Hut which will become a publicly traded United States-based business. An initial announcement from HUD-8 highlighted that the merger would open up 825 megawatts of capacity across six different Bitcoin mining and data center facilities. While the Supreme Court of BC has issued a final order approving the merger, the deal's closing is subject to a handful of outstanding requirements, including the approval of USBTC shareholders. HUT 8 anticipates that the final transaction confirming the merger and creation of New HUT is expected to take place before the end of 2023. New HUT also plans to list its shares on NASDAQ and the Toronto Stock Exchanges, trading under the ticker HUT. Shareholders will also need to complete and submit transmittal letters to receive shares of new HUT common stock once the merger is complete. HUT 8 recently moved some 6,400 ASIC mining rigs from its inactive North Bay facility in Ontario to the United States of Texas. <laughs> United States State of Texas, as it looks to serve increased demand for artificial intelligence and high-performance computing. The redeployment of hardware from the site was primarily necessitated by an ongoing legal dispute between HUD-8 and third-party energy supplier Validus Power over an alleged failure to meet contractual obligations. Operations at the mining facility have been suspended since, God, November of 2022. Digital Currency Group's institutional mining and staking subsidiary, Foundry Digital, also announced a formal partnership with HUD-8 in August of 2023. The deal will see HUT-8 support several business offerings for Foundry using its Ontario-based data center. Foundry has been using HUT-8 infrastructure to support its cryptocurrency mining pool since 2022. So, getting out of Canada. 
is that's sort of how I read it, even though that HUD eight is still or new HUD is actually going to be listed on the Toronto uh, Stock Exchange. It looks like they're being consumed by USBTC, which is a United States based corporation. I think what HUD eight is trying to do is limit their ability to be stifled by Canadian government officials. That's what I think is going on. Formster, F-O-R-M-S-T-R, free and open source alternative to Google Forms based on the Nostr protocol. It is a usable alternative to Google Forms that is built on Nostr. So I'm looking at it right now and it's, it's bare bones. Okay. It's, I mean, it really is. It's, it's pretty bare bones, but it does allow you to put out like, like brief polls, you know, do some of the basic stuff that Google forms is doing, but it's the fact that you can do any of this, any like being able to supplant any of the functions from Google forms into something that you can do on Nostr. I super, super excited about it, even though I don't use Google forms, but I do get excited every time somebody pulls a tooth from the monster of centralized agencies like Google, just saying, and they are an agency, by the way. Oh, their company. I was like, no, the ties they have to the United States government at this point, it's a United States government agency. We should just go ahead and understand that. Now, here comes Fold. Some people are mad at them. Let's find out if we can stop being mad at them. Fold is working to onboard new trading and custody partners. Looks like we're not going to be mad at them. Yay. The recent Prime Trust and Fortress events reinforce the needs to do things the right way versus the fast way. We are in the process of onboarding new trading and custody partners, which will make Fold the best place to buy Bitcoin again. We just need a bit more time. Quote, in June, we announced the addition of new partners, including BitGo and Fortress, to bolster our trading and custody operations. And since then, Fortress disclosed a breach that led to a loss of funds for four customers, and Fold was unaffected, however. And later, they announced that Ripple was acquiring them. Over the next few weeks, we will announce new trading and new custody partners that will be incorporated into our offering, as well as updated timelines on when we will relaunch the Bitcoin buying feature. So Fold is is anticipating that they're just get they're just getting out of this, right? Because of the Prime Trust and Fortress Trust or whatever they're calling it, Fortress. Um, debacle over there at, oh God, what is it? Swan Bitcoin. And Swan's trying to get out of it, but they're totally caught up in it. Fold looks like they're being proactive and are getting out of it right now and making the announcement publicly. So for all of you guys who are whatever pissed off at Fold because they don't give as many sats as they used to, hey, at least they're, at least they're trying to fix their little red wagon when it comes to how Bitcoin is custodied with third parties. All right, at least they're at least they're giving it a shot. That's all I got to say about that one. Now I got a note here on Primal.net, which is a not my favorite Nostra client, and it's Hodlbod who works pretty much on Coracle. He's one of the developers of Coracle. I've met him in person. He's a really great guy. He gives a video how he will be using Nostra from now on, and all this is to say that he's embedded music a, a literal like a, a you can play music or well it's audio but mostly he's talked about music 
you can he's embedded a music player inside of Coracle. So while you're on Coracle, you know, browsing Noster notes and doing DMs and doing all your making your memes, you can play music in the background. It's awesome. Thank you, Hoddlebod, for that. I appreciate it. Coracle is also one of my all-time favorite Nostra clients for PC. I just, you know, just so you know. Uh, Nostrified. Nostrified is, well, I used it today. It was Guy Swan had uh, mentioned it in one of his Nostra notes, and I looked at it, and it's pretty cool. Check it out, man. Nostrified, N-O-S-T-R-Y-F-I-E-D, offers a broadcast and export service that allows you to download a copy of your Nostr data. And when you use this service, all of your data will also be broadcasted to major relays on the network. The design ensures that the data is widely distributed and makes it more censorship resistance or resistant. So I did it. I, I, I went ahead and clicked the button with my, and, and I didn't even have to log in. It will do this for anybody's in-pub. So if you want to do it for somebody else's in-pub, but I don't, you know, honestly, it doesn't matter. It does It's not going to involve DMs because you need to decrypt that unless you're on ZBD. And that's a whole other issue. I don't want to get into the ZBD stuff today. I want to let some of the dust settle before I cover that. But this one is not going to do that. This is all about your notes, likes, stuff like that. I downloaded a .js file that has all 80,000 events that have occurred on my NPUB since I activated it when I built that uh, my, my public key and my private key pair. And, they, and all those events got broadcasted to major, to major relays. So if there was a relay that, you know, like a major relay that didn't, that came online later, and only has a partial amount of the data that I represent on Nostra Network, now they have all of the data. So it definitely does help. It takes a while to do, but I highly recommend going ahead and doing this because right now it's free. And whoever created this, and I can't remember who created this, you if you're listening, you need to charge for this service. Because this is a great service. I've got a complete record of everything that I've done on Noster in a .js file. And that sucker is 238 megabytes large. So I'm pretty sure that's everything that I've written. All the, you know, every link that I've ever given, all my likes, all the people that have liked, you know, any notes, zap records, the whole ball of wax. It should all be in there. So thank you to whoever, but please start charging. It takes a while to do. So it's not something that's instantaneous. You'll want to have it just kind of running in the background. Mine, I think when I did it, it took about 20 minutes, maybe up to a half an hour. So just be aware it's not instantaneous because it actually has to go through all the relays that it can find on the Nostra network and find whatever is associated with your pub key and pull it down and shove it into this file. And then it's got to rebroad or then it's got to broadcast it all back to, to major relays. The only thing that I see this or the only problem that I think I see with this is it could really put a hurt on relays, but we will have to see Europe. We're going to go over the pond over to Europe because apparently Europe is eating America's lunch. U.S. is held back by Bitcoin ETF paralysis 
Nicholas Morgan from Decrypt tells us more. It's been a good summer for digital assets in Europe, especially when compared to the very cold reception they have endured in the United States. In August, the continent welcomed the launch of its first exchange-traded fund in Bitcoin spot markets with the listing of Jacoby FT Wilshire Bitcoin ETF in Amsterdam. On the regulatory front, the European Union's Markets and Crypto Assets, MICA, a comprehensive framework designed around digital assets, created some legal clarity for digital asset companies in the block. In the United States, digital assets has had a rougher season. Despite some high-profile spot applications, FT or ETF applications by Wall Street heavyweights like BlackRock and Fidelity, the Securities and Exchange Commission, has slow-rolled any approvals, creating a drag on Bitcoin markets. And at the same time, it has continued its crackdown on crypto exchanges, while Congress struggles to get its own regulatory bills passed. For envious industry players in the United States, the transatlantic contrast is proof that Europe is surging further ahead. Lars Christensen, CEO of Seer Capital in Switzerland, said Europe hasn't been good at eating America's lunch for years, but this summer's moves show how clear regulations are a major competitive advantage. Quote, I would say Europe is probably a bit ahead of the game, Christensen told Decrypt in an interview. In this sense, the United States still has work to do. Europe's ascent up the list of digital asset-friendly jurisdictions has been clear. In 2022, Europe overtook the U.S. as a springboard for digital asset startups with 3,977 launched versus 3,357 in the U.S., according to data from DealBook. Even in funding, where the U.S. remains dominant, European startups saw a 14% increase in venture capital investment compared to a 4% drop in the United States last year. Yeah, you can thank FTX for that. As the tradition, uh, as the, wait, hold on. Oh, as the traditional haven for legacy tech and finance industries, having the U.S. trailing behind Europe is something of a role reversal. For decades, U.S. regulations have been considered the less onerous of the two, whereas Europe was regarded as more bureaucratic with more stringent rules to abide by. This inversion of roles is made clear with Europe beating the United States to the front of the line in the race for a Bitcoin spot ETF. Unlike in the U.S., where the pursuit of a Bitcoin spot ETF is a decade-long ordeal of constant rejections, exchange-traded products related to Bitcoin have been active in Europe since at least 2015. That's when I got into Bitcoin. With the introduction of the Sweden-based XBT Bitcoin Tracker 1. Despite the SEC's concern about a spot ETF being prone to market manipulation, Christensen said that the debate has not been contentious in Europe. Quote, I don't remember that controversy at the time, and in Europe, it didn't seem to be something that interested an awful lot of regulators very much, said Christensen. The nature of the United States regulatory system also presents unique challenges that are more salient across the pond. Lowell Ness, a lead partner on fintech at the law firm Perkins Cole, said that United States security laws are designed to be intentionally vague in a manner that differs from what he described as the more cut-and-dry approach in Europe. This gives U.S. regulators more flexibility in setting rules, but also lends itself to turf wars between agencies. The lack of formal rules from regulators or even definitions for digital assets in the U.S. has only exacerbated the problem. Companies have responded to this by lobbying Congress to clean up the mess. 
In another case, Coinbase, the biggest exchange in America, petitioned the SEC directly for rules, but has been met with silence in a lawsuit accusing it of violating securities laws. This lack of clarity has driven some U.S. companies to consider moving operations overseas. One example of this was the U.S. arm of digital asset exchange Bittrex. In April, they said it would be shutting down because operating in the U.S. was no longer economically viable because of its haphazard regulatory system. Oliver Lynch, Bittrex's CEO, said that the U.S. fixation on navel-gazing debates around jurisdiction was hamstringing it in contrast to the EU. Rather than trying to fit digital assets into existing frameworks, he praised the MICA for taking a bespoke approach to crafting regulations that provide more clarity for businesses and regulators in the block. You can't operate in a box, Lynch told Decrypt. If you don't create a good path for good actors to behave well, all you've done is cleared the way for bad actors to act nefariously. And that's all that we really need to know about that. Because that harkens back to what I was saying before. If you outlaw guns, only criminals will have guns. If you outlaw drugs, only criminals will have drugs. It's, it's a two-way street. Not only will you find truly nefarious people who were never going to be affected by a regulation that said you can't you know, own a gun. They were going to own a gun anyway. But now you've taken a whole segment of people who are not nefarious people and forced them to be criminals. That's the way the United States regulatory regime works. Every time that you regulate against something, those people that are not nefarious people, that are good-hearted, at least try to be ethical and moral, find themselves being criminals. But technically, they're criminals. And the same thing is happening right now. Who knows where this shit's going to go? We're going to have to continue to watch and see. And, you know, if you, if you get the, you know, wild hair up your butt, I guess you can, you know, call your states, you know, state. In fact, if you are going to get the hair up your butt about calling your legislators, maybe start with your state legislators. They're tech, generally speaking, I've found state legislators to be much more receptive to what their constituency has to say. In fact, I had a 40-minute phone call with one of my state legislators back when I was living in Texas back years ago. And he was it was a great conversation. We were talking about sales tax in Texas on particular services. I won't get into why I made the phone call, but um he picked up the phone. He actually he not only did he pick up the phone, I called his office you talk to the guy, said, oh, I'm concerned about this, this, and this. L- like it was either yesterday or later in, in the same day, that guy actually called me back. Not the assistant, the dude, the, the rep, my representative from my district in the state called me on the phone and had a discussion with me about my concerns. Whereas any time that I've ever called, like, I don't know, Ted Cruz's office or some other state, you know, senator or state House of Representative guy or a federal senator or federal state uh, House of Representative guy, just not getting that kind of that kind of response. You'll never talk to those people. They'll never hear what you have to say. They're completely walled off. So if you are going to spend your time talking to a legislator 
I highly recommend you start at your state level legislators. Much more receptive, better conversations, and it mean I think it actually means more to be active with your state than it is the federal government. That is going to do it for the morning roundup. It's Monday, and this is the best day to have Dad Says Jokes. However, this isn't Dad Says Jokes. This is Dubrovko Says Jokes. Dubrovko sent me this in a boostergram. Why didn't four ask five out? Because he was too squared. Support the show. Podcasting 2.0 is the way to go to do that. You can send me boostograms and stream me Satoshis, and it really, really actually helps. Not only does it help the pocketbook, it helps my mental well-being. Because every time I see sats streaming on my lightning node, there's something about it that makes me happy. Nobody else is in control of that. I'm not having to wait for a check from Visa. I'm not having to wait for you know a swift payment to go through the banking system. Nope, it's just directly in real time coming to my lightning node. And I love that. And every time I see it happen, it makes me the happiest man on the planet. So thank you to all those people that are supporting the show. Um, I think that that, I've covered that all. I'm I'm working on the first episode of um, the Silvo Pasture uh, slash permaculture uh, idea thing. Um, There's there's so many ways that I can go to this. I want to make sure that I'm going to be able to do it for both uh, like the Zapstream guys as well as the audio guys. And since I've never really had to do that before, I want to be careful. So please give me a little bit of room. And holy sh- crap, last, lastus? Damn, dude, 21,000 sats? Man, I cannot thank you enough. I I appreciate it. And with with that, I'm going to end this show by saying, I'll see you on the other side. And we're going to be listening to what, what are, hold on. Let me, I got to make sure of where it is that I'm at. Whoop. Nope. Not you. I need you. That's right. I need you music. What are we doing? We're doing. Oh, warriors of Bitcoin from Christo. See you on the other side. Queremos es que la gente entienda, que la gente tenga conocimiento, se cree su criterio y tome sus propias decisiones. De eso se trata y de eso va. Estamos haciendo historia, lo sabe todo el estadio. Son ingobernables los niños del extrarradio. Crecen en la estepa del ciberespacio. Me ha pedido Europa que le escriba el epitafio. Estamos haciendo historia, lo sabe todo el estadio. Son ingobernables los niños del extrarradio. Crecen en la estepa del ciberespacio. Me ha pedido Europa que le escriba su epitafio. Han venido avatares desde toda libertaria. No me sé su nombre, los conozco por sus alias. Me regalan libros y vibro con la magia, me siento como un niño en la escuela de Hipatia pagando con santos las cervezas de Caliato, pegando pellizcos a ese polen de gelato, reviso con los dioses condiciones del contrato le pido por favor que me dejen otro rato 
¿Es Bitcoin realmente inmutable? En el sentido práctico es inmutable. El todo, la inmutabilidad, no depende de las partes. Eso explica por qué, pese a que se pueda copiar, clonar el código de Bitcoin, no son capaces de reproducir. Lo podéis ver con todos los miles, una vez más, de blockchains que hay, privadas y públicas, cómo no heredan esa, esa propiedad. Esa propiedad. No ha venido la prensa quien la necesita Ellos solo cubren el timo de la champita Les gusta que le estafen y le pongan la gafita Nosotros preferimos a Quintero y el Risita Sentados en la terraza, comparto la clave Los bloques se me pasan, no quiero que se acabe Mis polimerasas a la caza del detalle Replico y propago lo que me enseñan mis pares Estamos haciendo historia, lo sabe todo el estadio Son ingobernables los niños del extrarradio Crecen en las tepas del espacio, me ha pedido Europa que le escriba su epitafio. Estamos haciendo historia, lo sabe todo el estadio. Son ingobernables los niños del extrarradio. Crecen en las tepas del ciberespacio. Me ha pedido Europa que le escriba su epitafio. Código abierto no es un delito, no es un acto criminal. Y querer preservar tu privacidad no lo es. Yo no te metes en problemas con esta gente, tío. A mí me pagáis en cash. ¿Y correcto? Correcto. Quiero agradecer enormemente a todos, a la asociación, a Watch Out Freedom, por haber apostado por este evento. Y la idea es que creemos las bases para conversaciones de largo plazo. Tengo una blockchain y, por tanto, lo que almaceno en ella ya es inmutable. No, no, no. Ahora lo cogío.
This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.